when they make their investments, you want to make sure that business plan can really sustain or deliver on that plan in knowing that rates are rising. We may be coming into a recession. That double digit rent growth that we had seen in markets across, you know, almost everywhere. Is that really sustainable? So questioning the business plan for sure has been a very common question. And more importantly is, can, are the, is the property cash flowing strong enough to cover all the, the costs, including interest rates, which is getting higher and higher? And with that, I know some people purchase rate caps to kind of hedge your interest rate, you know, being increasing more and more. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors, we have uh, Lana Choi on our show today. Lana is one of the co-founders and managing partners of Sage Investing Group, where she and her partners have a collective portfolio of over 4,400 units across nine markets in the United States, which is super impressive. Yeah, Lana comes from an audit and risk management background, and uh, she's got over a decade of experience working for investment banks on Wall Street. And, you know, obviously, since then, she has quit her corporate career. And since uh, 2020, she has been focusing on real estate syndications. Now, you know, Lana is responsible for much of the underwriting of deals within her team. So we got to hear a different perspective here and, you know, focus a lot on the numbers. And you will hear in our interview just how analytical Lana is and how much she focuses on the numbers in order to ensure both feasibility and risk management for the deals that they work on, which is really, really important. So yeah, let's definitely get started with Lana. Hello, we've got uh, Lana Choi on our show today. And um, I just wanted to, you know, maybe give us a, a background introduction as to how you went from Wall Street, uh, your corporate background, and um, how you ended up in a multifamily syndication space. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, so my background is I, I studied accounting. I went into a big four accounting firm. Um, got my CPA. And so I was good with numbers, I guess you can say. Um, but I spent majority of my career in audit. So my job was really to find risks in processes, controls, even numbers, find anomalies and figure out, okay, understand, investigate those areas better. And, you know, if there is a risk, what are the remediation plans around it, right? What are some of the remediations to kind of mitigate those risks? So I kind of spent most of my career the last you know, 13 to 15 years doing that. How I made it into real estate was um, at some point, I kind of followed the path of what I thought was success of working really hard, 
you know, I guess increase bettering your career, which means bettering your income was a way to wealth. But I sacrificed a lot of my time for sure to, to build that wealth. And it was my single source of income. And having kind of lived through the 2008 crisis, I know it was almost in my very early beginning of my career when I would live through that. Um, it was a really big wake up call about how, you know, you can have a great career, but you're not um, always safe to downturns in the market or environment. And so I really, I realized that, you know, I had to really diversify my sources of income and relying on my W-2 maybe isn't always the best way. So, you know, living in New York City, trying to find places local to me was a little bit more difficult. Um, I thought about maybe house hacking, you know, where I would buy like a, a two bedroom or a duplex, live in one, rent the other. Um, but, and then live close to New York City, which is where my job was. But I could, I mean, finding a nice duplex with great commute to New York City, you couldn't find anything less than $800,000 um, in my area. And it wasn't always the nice and prettiest asset either. It needed maybe a little bit of work. And so I, I had a hard time trying to figure it out. Fortunately, as part of my job, what I did was, you know, at Wall Street, I used to audit the bank's investing portfolio. So I've seen how they, and this includes commercial real estate products too. And so, you know, the basic concept, whether it's Wall Street or, you know, single family, principles are the same, right? You, you invest for um, cash flow and appreciation. And so to map, you know, maximize your investments, you want to make sure your revenue is growing in the, their investment and your expenses are, you know, lower, right? So that you can increase your profit line. It's a basic principle that applies. Um, but having seen deals get done with much larger numbers, it was something that was used to seeing. And so when the whole concept of investing for myself, came to be, I really thought about why couldn't it work? If it works for an individual like myself as a small investor to find a single family property um, to invest in for hopefully cash flow, but mostly for appreciation for I am in New York, why couldn't it work for a, um, a larger property that's, um, you know, 100 units? Right. Just scaling up a little bit more. But I knew that, like, if I wanted to go bigger, I needed, I thought I needed more capital. And so for a long time, my, the thing that held me back was how I don't have, I'm not like a big institutional farm. I don't have like millions and millions of dollars with me. So I was like, I don't know. I didn't know how to get started on the bigger assets. And I have always thought, okay, you know, start small. Do your first single family, make that work. Once you make that work, do a duplex. Um, once you make the duplex work, maybe do a quadplex and sort of build on that. But I guess at some point I needed to do that. I was like, oh, that, that's going to take a lot of time. And so, it, yeah, it was going to take a lot of time. And I, I didn't know how much time I had working a W-2 to be able to allocate and dedicate to building that up. Um, quickly and efficiently. So I know, I know I covered a lot of topics here, but 
my background here was, it just simply was great with, I was used, you know, good with numbers, being an accountant, um, understand how to look for risk, being an auditor, and used to looking at commercial real estate as part of my job um, and what I was doing. And so I just needed to figure out, you know, could, I didn't think it was available to, you know, a small investor like myself. I thought that this is only where the big boys play and I couldn't be one of the big boys. I should just stick to smaller um, properties and smaller assets and try to make it work on a single family or duplex. And so for a long time, I was out there hunting for that small, you know, single family or duplex property that I could work and house hack my way into and work my portfolio up from there. I know I'm kind of dumped a lot of <laughs> information at you there, but no, that's great. Um, you know, uh, and most people that we, uh, we you know, we have on our show, they typically start with the single family or duplex and then they move on to a bigger one, but your journey was different and, and maybe even worked out to be in your advantage because, um, you know, most people think that you have to have a lot of capital to get into the larger deals because they don't know about the syndication model or, you know, you, you have to have experience in the single family space, you know, if you move on to the larger ones, but that's n- certainly not the case. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm great. I'm glad that you touched upon syndication because that, that was a world that opened up everything for me. I, I hadn't heard of syndication up until about two years ago. A form, you know, a friend, a really good friend of mine, we had worked together at, you know, Wall Street for several years. She had quit to try to, you know, make her way into real estate. Um, she did the whole, like, got her real estate license, did the realtor thing and was like, oh, this is terrible. Um, it's not fun at all. <laughs> I don't know why I quit my W2 job to be door knocking on and cold calling people's people. Um, and then I think it was through a meetup event. She met somebody who was doing multifamily syndication. And when she first heard about it, she actually um, phoned me up the next day and kind of told me, Hey, Lana, you need to check out this multifamily syndication thing. It's, it's basically a bigger joint venture type situation where you could do multifamily without having millions of dollars, right? Basically doing what institutional invest, institutional corporate companies were already doing, but allowing for, you know, individual investors like myself to get involved in. And I, and I, that idea just appealed to me right away because it basically answered my, my question, right? Like my, my open big hurdle. Like how do I get into that bigger deals? Being a lowly, you know, individual investor myself, I could probably have a couple, you know, couple of grand, maybe 100K, 200K lying around that I could probably invest in. But I, I certainly wasn't going to be able to get into a 100 unit property with 200 grand, right? Yeah. So I was like, how, how do I get in? And then with this whole syndication model, it just opened a whole new world for me. And it was in here that I realized that, okay, I didn't even need to invest 200K. I can get started with, you know, 50, 75,000 and putting in 50 and 75,000 to this private investment of, multifamily syndication, I had a piece of the partnership of a hundred or 200 unit property. And that was kind of like my foray into, okay, I get it. I I understand how the numbers work. And now I knew how to put my capital where it would, you know, be stretched across many different units as opposed to one unit. Um, And, you know, going back to, you know, what I said earlier about 
having number of doors. Again, from a risk perspective, when you have a one unit property or, you know, you know, a single family property and you need to vacate that unit to do renovations and say renovations take like a month or, you know, sometimes two months because we know how sometimes contractors are there. There could be delays, right? Supply chain issues has been an issue as of late as, as is cost of materials, right? So, or labor. So having said that, you can have a property that you're doing renovations on but it may be sitting down for, for two months. And that's two months where you're not generating any income. And yet you still have all your debt obligations. You still got to pay your mortgages, right? You still got to pay um, your insurance and all these other things. So in my mind, I was like, well, if I had two units and I was doing renovation one, at least I had the other unit rented out to help float me a little bit and help pay for some of these costs. But what if it works at two units, why couldn't you work at, you know, 100 unit? And so kind of going back to that scale thing, if I invested, you know, my first, like the 50 to 75, I knew my dollar would be stretched um, most economically because um, from a business plan perspective, I knew, okay, if we're doing a renovation plan um, and a 100 unit property, it's not like we're going to take all 100 units down all at the same time and do renovations across the board, right? Unless it's like a ground up or down to the stuff type distressed value add, which I don't, you know, it wasn't the type of deal I first started with. I was like, okay, it, it's a business plan where you can take some units down, do your renovations. But in the meantime, you have the other units that are being rented out, that are being leased, that are generating cash flow to help A, cover all your immediate costs that you need to pay for. And B, um, cushion, cushion you, um, with some of the costs that are, you know, used, being used to cover renovations on the down units, right? So I was like, I, I, I knew that I couldn't do this on my own for sure with only, you know, 100, 200K, but to be able to do this with only 50, 75, 75K made me realize, oh, wow, I can do this. I can take my, you know, reserve of a, you know, 100K or whatever money I had saved up and allocate it to different deals and really um, stretch my dollar, if you will, stretch my capital. Yeah, I know. Diversify, if you will. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that's, that's a great part about syndication, right? It's, 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 you know, uh, you, you get to spread your risk Mm -hmm. through multiple properties and, and and multiple units too. Um, So your dollar can get you a lot further versus, you know, putting all your capital in one, one investment when you're doing it by yourself. So that's really great. So walk us, uh, you know, this is, this is sort of how you started your background, your history, walk us to present day now. You're part of a group called Sage uh, Sage Capital, right? Yep, Sage, Sage Investing Group. Group. Sage Investing Group. Sorry, um, and you have two partners, and you guys. Uh, m- maybe tell us. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. Tell us a little bit about all the great successes you've had and what you guys are currently up to. Yeah. Um, so these are two amazing ladies that I had the fortune of. Well, one of them is actually my former. <laughs> former friend and colleague in our W2 job. So sort of already knew her, I had worked with her previously, um, but I had a great fortune of meeting um, my third partner, Jen, who um, had met through this multifamily syndication world um, through a mentor, shared mentorship group that we, we were in. And all of our backgrounds were all CPAs with audit risk mentality background. And so we kind of clicked right away. And then one of the things when I when I started doing this full time, I realized that 
even though we all have the same background, we each have a area that we were stronger at, right? Like leverage your strength and areas that you're maybe not so great at, you can leverage somebody else who is great at that. So um, each of us having the same values and principles, we connected right away. But in kind of speaking with each other, we realized all of us had the same goal of trying to do multifamily, but all of us had our each own struggles, our own areas, you know, of we had our own competencies, but other areas that we weren't so strong on. So me personally, for example, I love Excel. I'm very analytical. I'm, you know, I do the, I get, I love to get dirty in the details. Um, I like to break apart numbers um, and understand really what are the numbers. Numbers tell you stories, right? And numbers also don't lie. Well, you know, hopefully they don't because, but they don't lie. So they, it almost can tell you the story. And if you know how to look at the numbers, you can learn a lot about how the property is performing or how the property can be performing if it isn't being performed to its best potential. And so that's kind of where I found my passion and I really like doing it. But this business is also about networking. This is more a relationship business than anything else. And, you know, my two other partners are really great at that. Um, Jen, she is our investor relations partner. She loves talking with people. She loves educating people about what we do. She loves to kind of um, go out and kind of share what it is that we're doing. And my other partner, Maggie, she loves talking to brokers. She loves talking to the property manager. She loves talking to insurance brokers and mortgage brokers. So, you know, collective, we're like, okay, with each of our powers combined, you know, we have something here. <laughs> um, having gotten together, you know, uh, with our each respective skill sets, um, we formed our company in 2022, um, you know, right in the kind of heat of the pandemic. And since joining together, we have done... You mean 20, it was uh, 2000... Um... 2020, right? Oh, sorry. Did I say 2022? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry about that. That makes no sense. 2020, correct. Two years ago, 2020, uh, fall of 2020, we formed our company Sage Investing Group. And since joining forces, we have done about five or six deals together. And of those, you know, five, six deals, the last two were ones that we had actively sourced and led on. Um, so yeah, we're, we're very fortunate to have met, you know, being able to find success in what we're doing. Um, and it for sure is hard work. Like being an entrepreneur, it takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of mental focus and it, it takes a lot of failure. Like you don't, you don't get anywhere with a couple of bumps and bruises for sure along the way. Um, and it's great to have partners because it it can get rough for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to have done so many deals with my partners and I'm excited to be closing on another property uh, very soon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, amazing. So yeah, you have um, uh, invested in multiple, I believe it's nine different states. Yep. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, if, uh, so far, has has there been one state that's your favorite or, um, you know, that has outperformed some of the other ones? 
Yeah, uh, great question. Um, so I would say the state that has outperformed and was honestly, I had no expectation on it was Alabama. And I'll give you some context to why that is the case. So being in New York, um, when I first started looking to invest in places, I started with this, you know, the Southeast because A, it's a short flight for me, um, just to be able to hop on the same, you know, hop on a plane and fly down south, but be in the same time zone, which is Eastern time zone. Um, and then, and there were many flights, you know, to say Atlanta, for example. So that's actually our primary market we started with Atlanta. Then we expanded into North Carolina as our two primary states. Alabama had never even crossed our mind as a state that we would ever, <laughs> we would invest in because A, I didn't really know Alabama that very well. And then number two was, I wasn't sure if my investor would take to Alabama very well. And, you know, understanding your investors is also really important too, because you want to invest in a state that your investors also know about and would like to invest with you along. Um, so the reason why this particular state performed better than my expectation was, you know, it wasn't, um, it was, it's not one of those hot states that everybody thinks of. Everybody thinks of Dallas, maybe Arizona, maybe, you know, Denver, Utah, or, you know, Colorado, I should say, Utah, um, Florida, for sure, right? Atlanta, Georgia, for sure. Um, even pockets, for sure, the Carolinas, Alabama, just in general people's mind, it's like, okay, yeah, I can, I don't know Alabama very well. I don't know what, what jobs or what income level is there or growth is there. So there were a lot of unknowns. Um, and so for our very first deal that we actually led on was in Alabama. And how we came across that was we formed a really great relationship with a broker who's based on Atlanta. We had been working with him for a year and a half, looking for deals, underwriting deals, submitting offer deals in Atlanta. Um, but he actually lives um, in the Georgia border that's very close to Alabama. And he came across this property. Um, it wasn't being marketed. And he said, hey, Lana, take a look. It's, um, I think the fundamentals here really share a story that you would like. And at the end of the day, for me, it's not about the state, the perception of potential. It's to me, the numbers, the numbers tell the story, right? I kind of mentioned it earlier. So the fundamentals I need to make sure are there. And this was a town, a very small town in Dothan. It's called Dothan, Alabama. It's in the Southeast corner of Alabama. So it, it's like, 20 miles from the border of Georgia and 20 miles north of Florida. So it's like that corner pocket, both next to really great states. Alabama itself is a very landlord friendly state, which is also important. Um, but the fundamentals there were we saw income, good income. We saw um, growth indicators like um, was population growing? Yes. Was um Jobs growing, yes. Um, were there jobs? What type of jobs were there? Was it like um, you know resilient job growth? Um, and in this case, it was a lot of healthcare and um, retail, which I know retail is like uh, during the pandemic we saw a lot of retail fall shaky, but 
market by market, it really depends. And in this case, the town actually did strong retail revenue and they actually had revenue surplus during the pandemic because, and the situation really is a lot of people who, you know, were no longer having to live where they work were moving to towns that were affordable. And in this situation, again, we saw the fundamentals. We saw a lot of migration of people moving into the town. We're like, why is that the case? And looking into it, I think it's proximity to the Florida beaches. Um, when people were starting to move into Florida, Florida starts to get really exp- expensive. And so it was displacing a lot of the residents living in Florida who wanted to be closer to the beach, but they're like, oh man, prices of things are going up around here. So they wanted to find an afford- affordable place to live while still being close to the Florida coast. And then, aha, there's Dothan. <laughs> Right. It's in Alabama, but it's still so close to Florida. You're a quick drive away to the Florida um, panhandle. So Panama City, um, Pensacola, um, Destin. These are really great towns just on the coast of Florida um, where you don't have to pay as much. It was very affordable. And being that the town itself had strong health care as well, we saw a lot of healthcare professionals that really helped drive income or steady the income growth too. So, you know, when we saw the fundamentals, we're like, okay, we've never thought about Alabama, but let's take a drive out there or fly out there and drive around and see what it's like. It's like, and it's, it had that very um, small town charm. And you can tell the residents were very um, proud of their town, which is really important, right? Like you, you want to make sure that they're happy where they live. Um, and a lot of the locals that we met, many of them were like, no, I was, Born in Dothan, but had moved out because I was a job, better job opportunity. But I've since moved back because I no longer have to live where I work. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. So a lot of people were kind of like boomeranging back home, if you will, to live where it was more affordable and be family. And so fundamentals, it came down to fundamentals again, exceeded, you know, and now that we have our first, our first property that we closed on, that property we had, we didn't, when we were underwriting, we underwrote very conservatively because A, it is a tertiary market. So we didn't know what the growth, uh, growth percentage will be there. So we wanted to be pretty close to where current operations were, right? If, um, so we underwrote very conservatively. And since closing on that property, we've now had that property for just shy of seven months. And in seven months, we have increased rent two times. And the reason why we've been in- increasing rent two times is because we've been doing renovations. And with renovations, we've been seeing a lot of demand for the nicer new product. And it, it's because there isn't as many um, net renovated products in that area. And so a lot of these like um, Medicare medical professionals, or there's a med school there as well. So med students were like, well, they have the means to live in something someplace nicer. So now they're coming to apply to and live in these type of units um, so they could afford it and they like the type of finishes. And so we realized, wow, we're not renovating these units fast enough to meet these demands. And even though when we increase our rents, there's still a class A property in the in local um, close to our property that where rents were still much, much, much higher. So even with our rent increases, it was still considered view, viewed as still very affordable relative to some of the nice new products out there. And so 
it's always nice to go in and see the fundamentals look strong, but it's even better when your assumptions are sort of validated, right? Through execution, when you see it in real, real life example, sure, a proven case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and yeah, you, you, you know, you obviously come from risk management and numbers and all of this stuff. Yeah. And we touched a little bit about all the changes in the market and market fears. Uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about interest rates. Um, what's going on out there? Investor fears. Um, you know, maybe just sort of that sort of a topic. Yeah, no, this is a great question. It's been a question that's been very common (laughs) with a lot of conversations with investors that we've been having lately. Um, And rightfully so, right? Like the Fed announced a week ago, uh, you know, half a point increase on rates with more to come. (laughs) So um, rates are certainly rising. I know it's to hedge, it's to kind of counteract the inflation that we've been seeing in the U.S. for a while. So rightfully so, investors are um, a lot more vigilant about where they're placing their capital, right? Because they want to make sure, hey, when you're making your, when they make, when they make their investments, you want to make sure that business plan can really sustain or deliver on that plan in knowing that rates are rising. We may be coming into a recession. Um, that double-digit rent growth that we had seen in markets across, you know, <laughs> almost everywhere, is that really sustainable? So questioning, questioning the business plan for sure has been um, a very common question. And more importantly, is can, are the is the property cash flowing strong enough to cover all the the costs, including interest rates, which is getting higher and higher. And with that, I know some people purchase rate caps to kind of hedge your interest rate, you know, being increasing more and more. But even the interest rate caps have gotten a lot more expensive to the point where I'm constantly doing a cost benefit analysis to say, based on a projected where rates will move, how much interest would I pay out with the floating interest rate versus if I purchase a rate cap and rate caps, these these days are like three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars to purchase a rate cap, whereas a year ago we purchased our first rate cap for, I want to say less than thirty thousand. Wow! So thirty thousand versus three hundred thousand. I mean, that's a significant difference. It's a huge difference. Aren't you so glad you did it last year? Because now you know. <laughs> oh yes, for sure. I I and and you know what? It's interesting because in you know, both deals that we've done, the last two deals that we've done, um, we have worked with bridge lenders and we really like working with bridge lenders because they do help also fund our renovation costs. And so, and it gives a lot more flexibility. I know some people are very weary about, you know, short-term loans and being on a floating rate, but it also gives you a lot of flexibility to, you know, if you deliver on your business plan earlier, you're not locked into like a 10 year loan, you can, um, you have the option to, um, you know, we can always refinance for sure. But, you know, as we've seen in the market these past couple, you know, last year, for sure, a lot of people are exiting their deals because the offers on some of these, you know, the pricing, the value has increased so much. It just made so much sense to, um, to sell 
And so we wanted that option too. But if you're in a locked into a long-term loan and you try to sell, there is that whole prepayment penalty that could eat into your profit line, right? Or yield maintenance or defeasance, right? So, you know, all of those have to take into consideration. So you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I am so glad that we, we, in both situations, we did a bridge loan. And in both situations, you know, our lender didn't actually require us to purchase a rate cap. Um, which I guess in the first instance, we were much, we were a much different market than we are now. Interest rates were much lower. Um, so I can understand maybe why the bridge lender didn't require one. But in that situation, we decided that, Hey, well, let's just purchase a rate cap anyway. It's not that expensive. Plus, should rates, if they were to in- ever increase, and this is again a year ago, not today, where we're like, okay, at least we hedged our risk and the cost of this sense of peace of mind. Is only going to cost us thirty thousand dollars. It's not in the grand scheme of things. It's not that bad. So we did it, and now we are so lucky and so grateful that we did that because we're look where we are, where rates are rising. On our current deal, you know, for sure a different market. For sure, you know, now because interest rates are much higher, correspondingly the rate caps are much much more expensive, and it's gotten to the point where like you know. Do we want to self-insure, which just means do we want to make sure we have enough funds, like a contingency cash budget to help float us if as interest rates rise? Um, and then also buy us the time because we knew we we are investing in an asset that's cash flowing day one, which is one of the principles I look for when I invest in a deal is, is the property without doing anything today already cash flowing positive? So if it is, then whether we do a renovation plan or not, it's still able to stand on its own two feet or whatever, yep. you know, 10, 10, you know, 100 units by itself. And then so that we know that, okay, um, in our situation, it's cash flowing day one. So we didn't have to worry, but we wanted to do the renovation. So we intentionally knew we were going to um, take down some units for a little bit so that we can, when we bring it back online, we can put out a much better product. During that time, you know, we need to make sure we can help. We have enough cash funds to float our costs for that interim period. And so when we think about rising interest rates, one of the things I went back to when I went back to my numbers is we always make sure we had a very healthy contingency budget. But now my contingency budget needed to account for not only for those costs during the period where we're doing renovations and we may have some units that are down and not generating revenue until we're able to get back online, but also can I use those funds to help um, cover any increase of interest rates, right? And what I'm doing is I'm actually, what I did was when I underwrote my numbers, what I, I increased or stressed my interest rate from, you know, 4.5% to 5% to 6%. I went as high as, you know, I think 8 or 9% um, just to see, is the deal able to cash flow, even though when I'm calculating interest dollar amount at 9% interest? Wow. And if the answer is yes, then your, 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 your business plan, your, your property is telling you, okay, we have cash funds, cash needs to, to be able to sustain this type of really stressed environment. And now anything after that, it's about cash management. Right, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, let's say if 
you know, uh, somebody from a passive investor perspective, mm-hmm. they're looking to invest in a syndication, you know, what they, what would they be looking for in a, in a sponsor or a, a general partnership team? Um, how do you vet them? Yeah. I, I mean, before you invest in anything, you invest in the person first, right? So for sure, I would say this is probably the most important step of uh, investing with anyone is getting to know the person, but also their experience, right? Have, I like to know if the sponsor, I think there are two, like, you know, many different skill sets that make you a really great sponsor. But the ones that I look for are, you know, coming from a numbers background, are they good with numbers? Do they understand how to read financials? And are they able to kind of explain to me the financials, especially if, you know, if I see as an investor, as a past investor, if I see number anomalies and I'm able to bring up my questions to the sponsor, do they have a good answer for me that makes sense? And remember, I'm a, I'm a career auditor, so I'm used to doing this questioning um, and picking apart numbers and asking. And usually I can tell, oh, if, if they know their numbers, they know what's going on in their property and their assets. And knowing, knowing is kind of them knowing what's going on, having a good pulse um, on the asset or their assets in general gives me a good idea that, oh, they know they have a good handle on, on the deals that they do. Mm-hmm. The second thing I look for is, um, you know, are they also investing in a deal, right? Like, do you also have skin in the game? Because I, if I give you my money to invest in it, but you don't put your own money, then, and a deal goes belly up for whatever reason, then what's your loss take on it too? Like, I want to make sure your incentives are aligned with mine. So are you also invested in a deal? That's also another thing I ask, look for. Um, and then the last thing is, um, I think, especially as a sponsor, one of the things is if you um, have done a deal before and whoever the asset manager is, what's the, like, I guess I like to ask questions of what's the biggest challenge you faced and how did you overcome it? Um, and it gives me an insight on, not to say that every deal will run perfectly because there is no, <laughs> there is no perfect, right? Perfect case. But I'd like to know that whoever I invest with, that, that sponsor has the know-how or at least experience to, if they face a problem, figure out a solution to it or tap into the people, have a good connection with people that can help them address the issue, the challenges, right? And course, correct it and address it. Um, so, you know, do they have that know-how to A, understand when there's an issue going on in the property and B, either know themselves or have a connection, uh, somebody, you know, their relationship where they can tap into to address the issue if they have. Because every property, every deal is going to come across an issue one way or another. It's just, just you know, being able to address that. Well, for sure. Um, so those are the kind of things uh, I look for in a sponsor I invest with. Yeah, I know that's a great answer, and yeah, for sure. Um, you know, people do invest with people. Yes. Ultimately, it's about you know what kind of connection and and do you, do you do you align with the person who you're investing it with? And there's no right and wrong. I mean, it's just that we're not all going to align with you know everybody we meet. So right. Um, it, definitely something to to consider is who who are you investing with. Um, yeah, and it's not necessarily just about who who's 
giving me the highest ROI, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's about that connection, that that uh, trust factor, and yeah. transparency, yeah. like you said, and 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 having answers and to to difficult questions, and 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 really being accountable for that. So yeah, that's all great, great, great answer. Um, yeah. So I mean, uh, Lana, it was uh, it was great talking to you today. Um, before we end off, I mean, you 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 sound like such an ambitious woman. You you sound like you have such great things going for you. And and I'm I'm you know we're excited to see where you go in the next you know five years and and where this takes you guys. But um, do you sort of have a quote or a saying or uh, something that you'd like to share that has kind of helped you with your life or business, um, and you know just motivated you? Yeah, I mean, I think I have so many quotes that I'm like, oh my God, but as soon as you mentioned that approach <laughs> to mind, but I think fundamentally the principles I like to stick to is um, doing, being, you know, investing in relationship is, is a long-term game. It does take time, but I think the most important thing of all this is um, nothing gets done alone. Everything that I do is with people. It's a team effort. It's a team. It's when it's a win, it's a team win, right? So I, I really like that. My, my biggest thing and something I always look to do now is keep connecting with people. Um, keep learning from, there's always so much to learn. Keep learning from other people. And, um, I know, you know, I, I maybe I have a couple of deals under my belt, but I still feel like there's so many more I can learn from people around me. And so my greatest, um, what I'm fortunate at and what I could strive for is learn from people and the mistakes they have made before you. There are some of the most invaluable lessons that could be learned and it can't be taught in a book or, you know, a textbook or a school or, you know, work. It's, it's from the stories of people who have lived and breathed this. Um, so connect with people. Oh, that's, 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 that's beautiful. Uh, well said. Yeah. 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 And um, finally, yeah, we just wanted to know what's the best way for uh, people to get a hold of you. Um, there's sageinvestinggroup.com as your your website mm-hmm. um anything else you want to share there is uh i believe um you have a um webinar that you guys host as well yeah um so yeah sageinvestinggroup.com that's sageinvestinggroup 2g's <laughs> um sometimes some people forget the second g um and so sageinvestinggroup.com and um if you go into our website we do have like an investor circle and that's just there to educate. Like we just use it as a way to educate people because um, a lot of, there's so many things to learn about real estate. Like real estate is such a big topic in industry and there's different forms um, of real estate. So we do have, um, you know, for our, our group of members, we offer free biweekly webinars where we just either talk about a, a topic of real estate, like, you know, interest rate could be one of them and the state of environment, macro issues and impact to real estate could be one. We'll have guests on um, to talk about their, you know, particular profession and into real estate. So we have our lawyer on one time, we had our CPA on um, 
as well to talk about tax implications. And so it's not, there's no cost to it. It's free. Our really main goal is to educate as much as possible because I think an informed investor is the best investor. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yep. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll definitely link uh, all of those and your, your, your website in our show notes. And if anybody has any questions for you or is looking to get more information, um, they can definitely reach out. So yeah, again, Lana, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us. Um, I'm sure our, our, our listeners will get some valuable tips about what you do and, and maybe feel motivated to, to, to look into multifamily syndications, um, whether actively or, and, and passively, definitely as a means to, you know, sort of diversify into multifamily investments, large multifamily investments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for being on our show. Thank you so much, both for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.